everybody. It is Thursday, July 27th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I don't know how much of that UFO hearing you caught yesterday, but it was riveting and really brings new meaning to trying to bring just the facts to people because trying to decipher what's actually taking place uh, is pretty challenging. The way I look at it, even if just a fraction of what those witnesses said is true, I think it adds some real credence to the fact that uh, it's not just us out here. Well, the universe is so vast. And, you know, like we were joking yesterday, you know, there might be more intelligent beings out there that can make their way here and we can't make it there. And like, like us, they go and they send missions to places to say, hey, we heard about these humans on this planet called Earth. Let's go check them out. And uh, maybe they witnessed what we're up to here. And they're like, actually, we don't need to be worried about these guys. They're killing their planet. They're killing each other. <laughs> they're fine. They're not a threat. <laughs> they're fine. Let's let's move on. But like, let's let's check in on them once in a while with our uh, cube like uh, flying devices. We'll tell you more about that uh, later in the pod. All right, now to the headlines. Hunter Biden's plea deal is delayed. The surprising chain of events Wednesday when a judge said that she was not ready to accept the terms. Staying with politics, a scare on Capitol Hill when Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell freezes mid-sentence during a press conference. That big UFO hearing in Congress, one whistleblower telling lawmakers that the United States is concealing a multi-decade program that captures UFOs. Overseas, a London court finds actor Kevin Spacey not guilty of sexually assaulting four men. We've got an update on that crane collapse in Manhattan. You may have seen this scary video of it falling from a 45-story building under construction. On to business. Tesla rivals are teaming up to create electric vehicle infrastructure. Thank God. I've been waiting for it. And Irish singer Sinead O'Connor dies at just 56 years old. Plus, Moshe is on the same history. Jill, a big day uh, in aviation history, in medical history, and in music history. A bunch of big musical releases in the early 80s, all happening on this day in history. All right, let's get to it. In a really surprising turn of events, Hunter Biden reported to federal court Wednesday, where he expected to wrap up charges related to not paying taxes and the illegal possession of a gun. That plea agreement with the Justice Department would likely have kept him out of jail. Instead, the plea deal unraveled when a judge overseeing the case, Mary Ellen Norica, a Trump appointee, raised questions about the terms of the agreement. The court hearing was supposed to take less than an hour. Instead, it took about three hours. According to NBC News, the judge appeared almost upset that she believed she was being asked to act as a rubber stamp on the deal. She had really clear concerns about how two separate deals, one, again, regarding the unpaid taxes, and the other one regarding a gun possession charge, potentially intersected, basically why they were being brought together in this plea deal and how she would oversee them. Norika asked if the agreement would have her act as an arbiter if the president's son violated the gun deal over 24 months, which was part of the plea agreement. And she was concerned that this was just unprecedented, that the judiciary wouldn't normally oversee such an agreement. So instead of just resolving both cases on Wednesday, Hunter Biden pleaded not guilty to the federal tax charges. 
Now, those charges date back to 2017 and 2018. A court document says Biden failed to pay more than $100,000 in taxes on over $1.5 million in income. But that gun charge is still unresolved. So a little background, prosecutors had charged Hunter with possessing a firearm while using illegal drugs, which is technically a felony. Under the previous plea agreement, they had reportedly agreed to dismiss the charge if Biden completes a two-year period of probation, which would have required that he stay drug-free. This all happened back in 2018, when according to his own autobiography, Biden was regularly abusing crack cocaine during that time, but he did fill out paperwork to buy a gun and said he was not taking drugs. Okay, so what happens now? Hunter Biden is expected to reverse his plea if a new agreement is reached or if the judge eventually agrees to to that plea deal. The two sides are going to be meeting. They'll be addressing the judge's questions. Then they'll reconvene likely sometime within the next six weeks or so. Yeah, what was supposed to just be a very simple one-hour deal now will last at least a month, Jill. The judge said she was also worried that the agreement on the tax charges did not give her the ability to reject or modify the deal. The gun charge agreement could also shield Biden from further prosecution regarding an ongoing investigation. And that became a huge issue uh, in the hearing yesterday. Uh, Potential legal problems down the road and what this agreement actually means for other issues that could come up. At one point, the judge asked whether the investigation into Hunter was still ongoing, to which U.S. Attorney David Weiss of Delaware, who also happens to be a Trump appointee, but was kept on by President Biden, uh, Weiss saying, yeah, this investigation continues, but I can't give you any details. She then went over to the defense and asked them, like, Hunter, do you believe that once you sign this deal that you're clear for good here, that there's this is effectively immunity for you? And he said, yes. And she said, well, there's an issue here. If there's an ongoing investigation, this can't immunize you from other potential charges down the road. And so because of that confusion, uh, you have additional issues here. One of the things they're looking into is uh, whether Hunter Biden failed to register as a foreign agent. Remember, he was dealing with all these foreign businesses um, in Russia, in China, etc. And whether this deal that he thought he was signing would immunize him from any charges related to that. Hunter said, sure, it does. Prosecution was like, not so fast. The judge said, you guys have to go back and figure this all out. The judge, by the way, apologized for Hunter saying, I know you were expecting that this would go a different direction today, but we do need to resolve this stuff. And that's just the legal side of this. Then there's the politics of this. Um, And I imagine at the White House behind closed doors today, they're not very happy about what took place there. They were hoping to move on from this whole thing because the Hunter thing has been a huge issue for Republicans. Uh, They've been asking a lot of questions about this deal. Among other things, they have multiple investigations going. You might remember we told you about it on the podcast. There were IRS whistleblowers uh, that recently testified on Capitol Hill that revealed that they believe that they were not able to fully investigate Hunter Biden in recent years on this tax issue, that this plea deal came about without a full investigation. And so the bottom line from them, they believe that politically that uh, the White House influenced the decisions here. Now, the U.S. attorney, the Trump U.S. attorney, who's still there, says that was not the case, but that has certainly been an issue here. The White House officially, though, chiming in on Wednesday, saying Hunter Biden is a private citizen. This was a personal matter for him. The president, the first lady, they love their son. They support him as he continues to rebuild his life, deal with the drug addiction, etc. This was all independent. And so that's what you hear from the White House here. But this issue, Jill, is not going away. 
uh, Capitol Hill. Republicans continue to try to draw a line between Hunter and his father. They have not been able to prove it, but they're going to continue this investigation and it appears on the legal front that a Hunter uh, plea deal at least is on hold for now. All right, sticking with politics, a bit of a scare for Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. At a news conference Wednesday, McConnell froze midway through his opening remarks mid-sentence and appeared to be unable to resume speaking immediately. This was part of his weekly news conference when she was talking about how lawmakers were on a path to finishing a major defense budget bill this week. We're going to play the clip, um, even though it, it might be worth watching this. It's posted on our Instagram account uh, just because he's silent for a, a long time. So you're not getting the full picture of, of what he looks like. But we're going to just play it anyway. So take a listen. And a string of. Okay, so you could hear he stays silent for about 20 seconds. He is staring straight ahead. Uh, and then other GOP members, you could see them kind of confused and then finally intervene. Senators John Barrasso and Joni Ernst asked if he was okay. McConnell did not respond. And then eventually Barrasso guided him away from the podium. McConnell actually returned a few minutes later. It was after the news conference was over. He was asked by reporters what just happened. And he would only say, I'm fine. Jill, a very scary moment. Uh, and the expression, you know, he like froze in place uh, there. So definitely worth watching over on the Mo News Instagram feed to just see what takes place. And Mitch did not seem interested in really discussing it. Reporters tried to ask a couple times, what happened? Are you okay? Are you okay to have this position? He's just like, I'm fine. And then he takes the next question on political issues. Clearly an issue there, though. An aide said that the minority leader felt lightheaded. So he stepped away for a moment. A reminder that McConnell is 81 years old. About four months ago, he fell and had a concussion and a broken rib. Uh, he was actually absent from the Senate following the concussion for six weeks as he recovered from the injuries. He then returned to the Senate in April. But since then, McConnell has struggled on multiple occasions. He has not been able to hear questions that reporters have asked him. Uh, a reminder, Jill, that the Senate, a third of the Senate is over the age of 70. This is a huge issue that came up on the Instagram feed yesterday out of this. Among the questions, when are we going to see age limits in the U.S. Senate? And I remind folks, uh, well, they're in charge of that. Congress is in charge of setting its own limits. So with a third of the Senate being over the age of 70, they would basically have to pass a bill themselves that mandates all of them go into retirement, which is very unlikely. Uh, the only age regulation there is you have to be at least 30 to be a senator, no age limit on the other end. And by the way, McConnell's not even the oldest senator. You have Dianne Feinstein and Chuck Grassley closer to 90 than 80. But it appears here he would have to face pressure from his own party to step aside as leader or step aside as senator. And McConnell has several more years left. He's not up for re-election again till 2026. Moshe, I was actually thinking about Joe Biden during this, and you could see voters potentially saying 81. It's just too old to be in this position and having this much power. 
just for everyone to be aware, uh, Mitch McConnell, born February 20th, 1942. Joe Biden, born November 20th, 1942. So they are 10 months apart. Joe Biden is just 10 months younger than Mitch McConnell as he vies for four more years as president, which, by the way, at the end of a second term, Joe Biden would be 86 years old. Not far behind him, by the way, Donald Trump, just three years younger than Biden. All right, Jill, we have a lot more to get to in today's speed read, but let's get to our newest partner first over here at Mo News, Shopify. They have a new deal for all of you, whether you're a business owner or have something that you have as a hobby, but you're looking to potentially sell. If you haven't heard of Shopify, maybe you've heard this sound effect before. That's the sound of another sale being made using Shopify. If you're a business owner like me and you're looking for a solution to get your product to as many people as possible, Shopify is the commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. We're looking to launch a new Mo News merch line this fall, and we'll be using Shopify as our hub. And so whether you're an entrepreneur making your way on Facebook Marketplace or you're IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool you need to start, run, and grow your business. It has a great checkout system that helps you turn browsers into buyers. And right now they have a special deal for the Mo News community. You can sign up right now for a $1 per month trial period over at shopify.com slash monews, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com, that is S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com slash monews to take your business to the next level today. It is simple, it is easy, it is great, and you'll be hearing a lot of this once you sign up. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it every morning. A friend of mine was actually over this weekend. He drinks it as well, and he described it as nutrition insurance, meaning as long as you have your AG1 in the morning, you know you're covered for the day in terms of all the nutrients that your body needs. Of course, it's not an excuse to just eat junk food for the rest of the day, but it does make you feel a little bit better. It is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It is easy and quick and lets you get over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. Right now, with your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit drinkag1.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal. All right, time now for the speed read. Let's start with an update on what we learned from the UFO hearing Wednesday in the House from the Associated Press. One of the most shocking moments from Wednesday's hearing One of the witnesses, one of those three witnesses, retired Major David Grush, said that the U.S. is concealing a longstanding program that retrieves and reverse engineers unidentified flying objects. Grush's highly anticipated testimony before a House Oversight Subcommittee was Congress's last foray into the world of UAPs, or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, which is the official term that the U.S. government uses instead of UFOs. During that testimony, whistleblower David Grush saying he knows of multiple colleagues who were physically injured by UAP activity. Asked to go into detail, he said he really couldn't get into the specifics. But let's take a listen. If you believe we have crashed craft, uh, stated earlier, do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries. Yeah. Um, 
were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. And was this documentary evidence, this video, photos, eyewitness, like how would that be determined? The specific documentation I would have to talk to you in a skiff about. So Mosh, um, in plain English, he's basically saying that they have recovered alien bodies. Yeah, I kept replaying the scene from Independence Day where Will Smith punches the alien trying to come out of its craft. Uh, but that appears to be what he's alleging here. Keep in mind, he admits he does not have any physical evidence himself. He says he learned this from other people in the government. And he actually says that the U.S. government's been aware of this non-human activity since the 1930s. Uh, he says he saw evidence of a case in 1930s, early 1940s, Italy, that the Mussolini government recovered some sort of craft and that the Pope at the time told the U.S. government about it and handed things over to the U.S. in 1944-1945. So this goes way back here. The Pentagon is denying Grush's claim of a cover-up. Uh, by the way, for what it's worth, Grush has been doing multiple interviews on this. He believes that it's possible that these crafts come from an alternate dimension. He was trying to get deep into physics here, that it might not be of this world, but coming from a different world through a dimension. Can't quite explain the science there, but that's one of the things that he believes. Either way, Democrats and Republicans in recent years have been pushing for more research as a national security matter to the concerns about sightings observed by pilots that may be tied to U.S. adversaries or, again, non-human life here. Grush, by the way, who was one of the three people testifying yesterday, says he became a government whistleblower after his discovery and has faced retaliation for coming forward. He said the retaliation was, quote, very brutal, very unfortunate. Some of the tactics they used to hurt me, both professionally and personally, though he wouldn't go into details again on that front. He wanted to do that behind closed doors. The Defense Department, again, uh, pushing back, saying that they have not discovered any verifiable information to substantiate claims that any programs regarding the possession or reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currently. They would say that, Jill. They would say that. But it wasn't just Grush alone. Uh, Congress also yesterday heard from a former Navy pilot named Ryan Graves, who was stationed outside of Virginia, who said that seeing UAPs, these unidentified aerial phenomena, have become so common that it basically became commonplace among these pilots to talk about what they saw on a daily basis. But he also said, the pilot, Graves, said there's a stigma in reporting it. He said that uh, he had reports of these dark gray or black cube-like flying objects, like straight-up cubes that were flying in ways that uh, they had never seen any sort of human-designed aircraft fly before. Uh, he says that they, Congress needs to get to the bottom of it. That's why he's speaking out, and the American people deserve to know what is happening in our skies. Jill, this is getting more and more attention before Congress, especially with the release of a number of video recordings in recent years which show these nondescript objects traveling at very high speeds in these very weird directions. The Pentagon, as reported yesterday, has uh, more than 100 cases that they even admit we can't explain. We don't know where this is from. Now, could it be that they're saying that because this is an American military program they don't want to admit to? Perhaps. Could they be saying this because this is a foreign military program that we don't want to admit to knowing about or we don't want to show to the American people that they have something we don't have? Perhaps. Nonetheless, Congress taking this 
more seriously and expect to see more hearings on this in the uh, coming months. Yeah, bipartisan group of senators led by Democrat Chuck Schumer introduced an amendment to the annual defense spending bill currently making its way through Congress. That measure modeled off legislation aimed at revealing government records about the assassination of President John F. Kennedy would require executive branch agencies to hand over UAP records to a review board with, quote, the presumption of immediate disclosure. Agencies would have to justify requests to keep records classified. So basically, it sounds like these lawmakers are just like, tell us what you know. We're in the government. Tell us. <laughs> I mean, and I, and I guess the Pentagon, if there really is a secret, realizes uh, the last people you want to tell are members of Congress. It sort of reminds me of the Indiana Jones film, uh, Jill, where at the end they uh, put the Ark of the Covenant in like some warehouse somewhere and they tell Indiana, we have top people working on it, top people. But the goal really is to hide it from everybody else. Jill, the, the reaction here has been very interesting from the Mo News community. There's those who are like, what is the government hiding? We need to get to the bottom of this. This is a big deal. Then there are those who are like, why are they wasting their time? I care about education. I care about healthcare. I care about real issues. This whole thing is a distraction. And then there's a third group, which I would summarize by saying, I don't really want to know. I'd rather just live in ignorance. And I think that's sort of where, <laughs> where if you ask anybody in America, they fall in one of those three groups these days. All right. From Reuters, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point on Wednesday, citing still elevated inflation as a rationale for what is now the highest U.S. central bank policy rate since 2007. The hike, the Fed's 11th in its last 12 meetings, set the benchmark overnight interest rate in the 5.25 to 5.5 percent range. That is a level last seen just prior to the 2007 housing market crash, and it has not been consistently exceeded for at least 22 years. As it stated in June, the Fed said it would watch incoming data and study the impact of its rate hikes on the economy to figure out how high to go to reach its 2% inflation target. We were at 9% inflation last June. It is now at 3%. So it's not quite mission accomplished for them, but it is definitely better. They gave indications Wednesday that another rate hike is expected in September. Yeah, they had said in June to expect two more rate hikes. So we got one yesterday, one more to go here. Uh, again, they uh, see a strong jobs market. They see the economy continuing to grow at a moderate pace. Uh, and they see inflation coming down. So the big fear here, of course, was if they raise interest rates so quickly that they could drive us into recession. We've been talking about recession, no recession, recession, no recession. We have not seen a recession uh, so far, and they believe they can achieve this, quote, soft landing, which is getting inflation down without driving us to a recession. Uh, by the way, a recession is negative growth. The U.S. government expected to report today that the economy grew at 1.8%, that it actually grew. So the opposite of recession there. Uh, keep in mind, though, the last time we saw rates this high, and I put up a 20-year and 40-year chart on the Instagram feed on Wednesday, that uh, rates that high preceded a recession. It's always a risk when you're trying to tamp down inflation. You raise interest rates. You slow, you slow down the economy to bring down inflation, but you might slow it down so much you get into recession territory. And that's a concern. That's an ongoing concern. The Fed will monitor things. But uh, one thing to keep in mind, just looking globally here, inflation has been an issue in 100 plus countries around the world the past couple of years out of COVID. Uh, and the U.S. right now doing better in tamping down inflation than a number of developed economies across Europe. 
from NBC News, Kevin Spacey on Wednesday was found not guilty of sexually assaulting four men, capping off a month-long high-profile case in London in which Spacey and all of his accusers testified. The 64-year-old actor, yesterday, by the way, was his birthday, wiped tears away after the jury delivered its verdict, placing his hands on his chest. He then looked at the jury panel and mouthed, thank you, twice before they left the room. Spacey won an Oscar for Best Actor in American Beauty back in 1999. He said outside of the court that he was humbled by a jury's decision and enormously grateful to them for having taken their time and care to analyze the evidence. So the charges that he was facing in this case date from 2004 to 2013. That's at the time Spacey worked as the artistic director of the Old Vic Theater. He faced nearly a dozen counts related to sexual assault, sexual activity without consent, uh, etc. The men involved in this, the accusers, came forward after Spacey was accused of sexual misconduct and a number of other cases. This is as the Me Too movement was heating up in 2017. During this trial, the prosecutor characterized Spacey as a, quote, sexual bully who aggressively grabbed men by the crotch and delights in making others feel powerless and uncomfortable. Spacey's attorneys pushed back against that accusation, and it appears that uh, that helped him win the case here. And this victory is just his latest legal win. He recently beat a $40 million lawsuit last fall in New York by an actor named Anthony Rapp. Separately, he was facing allegations uh, of this sort in Massachusetts. Those charges were dropped last year. And in L.A., prosecutors declined to bring charges after the death of a massage therapist who said Spacey had forced him to touch uh, the actor inappropriately. Uh, So Spacey here was facing multiple accusations, multiple countries here, Jill, and between charges being dropped and uh, the victories in court, so far uh, he has uh, won all of them. Spacey, you might remember, was booted from House of Cards, the big Netflix series, when these allegations came about. Uh, He also had scenes in a film called All the Money in the World that were scrubbed, and he effectively has not been able to work the last six years because of these accusations. He's had a couple small projects, but that's something that he's discussed, saying you know, he's been paying for all these legal issues and is not able to work in Hollywood. Uh, it remains to be seen, Jill, whether being cleared on the, in these multiple cases and the charges dropped will allow Spacey to come back to Hollywood and work again. Yeah. Will there be a Kevin Spacey comeback? I don't know. I don't see it. It speaks to the challenges, Jill, of the court of public opinion and the actual court of law here. Uh, he appears to be winning in court of law. But uh, the feeling in the court of public opinion and among the movie studios so far is that uh, he's sort of still is persona non grata. From Axios, seven of the world's largest automakers are forming a new company to build a vast network of electric vehicle chargers across America. The goal is to help potential EV buyers get over their range anxiety by tapping billions of dollars in federal subsidies to accelerate the rollout of fast charging infrastructure. So this group includes the who's who of car manufacturers, Jell, GM, Hyundai, Kia, Honda, BMW, Mercedes. The U.S. and Canada right now have about 36,000 fast chargers. Those are chargers that can replenish a drain battery in 30 minutes or less. Keep in mind, if you don't have an electric car, if you try to hook yourself up to a slow charger, it could take 8 to 12 hours to recharge your battery. That's why these fast chargers are so important. So there's currently 36,000 chargers. The car makers are going to be investing a billion dollars in a new joint venture that'll build 30,000 charging ports on major highways across the U.S. and Canada. So nearly doubling 
that total. This is an effort by these industry giants uh, to quell Tesla's growing influence here over the electric vehicle system. Uh, Tesla right now has its own supercharger network that really dominates, is the go-to. Recently, the owners of Ford and GM, among others, said they will adopt Tesla's superchargers uh, using an adapter beginning next year and that they will start to make models designed to take the Tesla plug in a couple years. This decision, of course, is a sign that these car makers do not intend to rely solely on Tesla, which dominates the market for charging. They want to build their own here. Either way, good news, because as we've been reporting on this podcast, electric vehicle sales are down uh, in uh, recent months, uh, many more sitting on the lot. One of the issues for a lot of consumers is the charging situation. They can't take longer trips. We have a very driving culture here in the U.S., and until they get the fast chargers to be as easy or nearly as easy as gas stations across the country, uh, some people still sticking with their gas cars. From ABC News in New York, a large crane on a high-rise building caught fire and partially collapsed in Manhattan on Wednesday morning, causing debris to plummet to the ground. Authorities say two firefighters and at least nine other people, including construction workers and passersby, suffered minor injuries when that fire broke out at around 7.30 in the morning. The crane is on a building that's under construction located on 10th Avenue and West 41st Street. Officials say that building is 47 stories high. Photos and videos posted on social media showed flames bursting from the engine compartment of the crane hundreds of feet above street level. Scary video, Jill. We posted video on the Instagram from multiple angles here. Your breath sort of stops as you see it collapse. And it's really a miracle that no one is dead from this incident, that it, uh, w- when it fell, the street was relatively empty because the cars were at a red light uh, on the previous block. The crane was carrying 16 tons of concrete. And as the fire burned, it weakened the cable, holding up the concrete until the cable gave way. The crane boom went swinging like a sledgehammer, slicing a neighboring building across the street before both it and the concrete collapsed onto the street below. Mayor Adams uh, also saying that, as you can see from the debris on the street, this could have been much worse, especially uh, during these morning rush hours. Uh, Jill, we had video sent to us from New Jersey where people were like, what is this thing happening in Manhattan uh, from buildings across Manhattan? And so right now they're investigating this company. Apparently all the permits for this uh, particular crane were updated, but this company apparently had a previous incident back in 2008 with a crane collapse. So I imagine more questions will be asked in the coming days. All right. And from People Magazine, Sinead O'Connor, the Irish singer who's known for a number of musical hits and was outspoken on social issues and a series of mental health struggles, has died at the age of 56. Her family confirmed in a statement, quote, it is with great sadness that we announce the passing of our beloved Sinead. Her family and friends are devastated and have requested privacy at this very difficult time. They are not confirming a cause of death. O'Connor broke through in 1990 with her number one hit, Nothing Compares to You. It's a song written and composed by Prince. Although the song was nominated for four Grammy Awards in 1991, she boycotted the ceremony writing in an open letter that the Academy acknowledges mostly the commercial side of art. Prior to her death, she released 10 albums. In 2021, she announced her retirement from music and touring, writing that she had gotten older and was tired. Days later, though, she reversed course, saying, I love my job, making music, that is. 
O'Connor was diagnosed with bipolar disorder as well as complex PTSD and borderline personality disorder. In 2015, she underwent a radical hysterectomy to treat endometriosis, which sent her into a downward spiral. Jill, many people remember one of her most memorable moments. Uh, Two years after releasing Nothing Compares to You, she made headlines for an appearance on Saturday Night Live during which she tore up a photo of Pope John Paul II after performing an acapella version of War by Bob Marley. She then told the audience, fight the real enemy, as she tore up the picture of the Pope. That stunt sparked serious backlash towards O'Connor, though she has said uh, that she has no regrets over doing that. She wrote in her 2021 book, a lot of people say or think that tearing up the Pope's photo derailed my career. That's not how I feel about it. I feel that having a number one record derailed my career and tearing up the photo put me right back on track. Jill, you mentioned the mental health issue. She did have a rough go at it uh, in recent years, especially. She was hospitalized last year after the death of her 17-year-old son, Shane, who uh, she later said died by suicide. Um, She tried amid all of this to throw herself into motherhood and religion. She became an ordained priest at one point and then later in 2018 converted to Islam and changed her name. Very sad anytime you hear about someone dying um, before their time, especially somebody as talented as she was. She was, uh, her voice was incredible. Her writing was incredible. Uh, Heard from people in Ireland yesterday uh, who are mourning her as, uh, you know, one of the country's great musical stars. All right, Jill, let's head now to On This Day in History, where we begin in 1921, On This Day, when two Canadian scientists successfully isolated insulin from canine test subjects. They produced diabetic symptoms in the animals and then began a program of insulin injections to return the dogs to normalcy. They then, a few months later, would announce the discovery to the world. Diabetes had been recognized as a medical condition for more than 3,000 years, but its exact cause was a mystery until the early 20th century. All right, a bit of cartoon history here, Jill. On this day in 1940, Bugs Bunny made his official debut in the cartoon Wild Hair. Jill, I feel like I grew up on a steady diet of uh, Bugs Bunny. What's what's up, Doc? <laughs> I believe was the... Uh, <laughs> That's the catchphrase. <laughs> expression. There you go. All right, switching gears here. Uh, nine years later, 1949, on this day in history, the world's first jet-propelled airliner... A British Comet made its maiden test flight in England. The jet engine would revolutionize the airline industry, which uh, was you know, only using propellers at the time commercially. Jets, of course, allowed air travel time to shrink in half or more as they allow planes to climb faster and fly higher. All right, finally, on this day in 1996, a pipe bomb exploded at the Olympic Centennial Park in Atlanta during the Summer Olympic Games, killing one person and injuring 111 people. Uh, Jill, there's documentaries about this. You might remember the name Richard Jewell, the man who was accused of doing it wrongfully. They would eventually get to the bottom of it, though it would take seven years until they arrested a guy named Eric Rudolph for the attack. A good lesson on trying not to rush to judgment. Yeah, especially we live in the social media era now. So it's not even 1996 anymore, where, you know, suddenly people see a picture on Twitter or Facebook and they're like, oh, this person did X. Uh, and, you know, you got to take a moment. And I think law enforcement learned a lesson, too, uh, in delaying the naming of a, uh, uh, a person until they think they got to the bottom of it. All right, we end here on a lighter note. Jill, this is a huge day in music history for some of the most iconic songs and albums of all time. So we got three here. First, Stevie Nicks, on this day in 1981, releases Belladonna. 
uh, her debut album, her debut album, Post Fleetwood Mac, which includes Leather and Lace and Edge of Seventeen. Jill, I love the guitar riff at the beginning of Edge of Seventeen, which of course Beyonce uh, uses in one of her songs years later. Look at you, Mosh. <laughs> I, I didn't realize. We say the podcast has range, but really, you've got a lot of range here with the musical knowledge, the politics. Very impressive. I try my best, Jill, to you know keep the range up. Speaking of range, but this is more your expertise. Also on the stay in history, so you had Stevie Nicks on the stay in '81 release her debut album. Two years later, a woman named Madonna would release her debut studio album on this day, July 27th, 1983, which turns 40 years old today. Uh, that debut album includes Holiday, Lucky Star, and Borderline. And there, Madonna changed music forever from Michigan, I might add. So uh, I have a little bit of love for her there. Uh, but yeah, Madonna is great. And and look, all of these years later, she was about to go on a world tour, uh, thinking of her, hoping that she's doing okay after being hospitalized in the ICU for a few days. Yeah, yeah we're wishing her a speedy recovery. Uh, and then one year later, on this day in history, Prince releases Purple Rain in theaters. Uh, so you have uh, big contributions to music on this July 27th from Stevie Nicks, Madonna, and Prince. That's right. July 27th, a really big day for music. Uh, hopefully after you finish this podcast, you can turn up some Madonna or Prince or Stevie Nicks. Or remember Sinead. Or Sinead O'Connor. Yes. Uh, big thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear... Please share this with your friends. It will make you look smart. It will help us grow. We'd really appreciate it. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. We appreciate all of you who uh, are also joining Mo News Premium to support what we're doing here on this podcast, newsletter, access extra content. Uh, you can do that right now over at mo.news slash premium. We're offering a free 30-day trial right now uh, with the code Mo News Trial. So check that out uh, and join the now Jill thousands who have joined Mo News Premium. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.